This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. My name is Ryan Smith, and I am an associate at the law firm of Larkin, Hoffman, Daly, and Lindgren. And this is published in two spots that I know of. One is on the Larkin Hoffman e-newsletter website, and also it is available on the AIPLA Lexology series. I am required to say that the information that I'm providing about this publication and about the change in virtual marking is deemed to be accurate, but it should not be considered as legal advice, and you should consult an attorney if you're requiring advice on any of these individual situations that I discuss. The old marking rules were set out to really help the innocent infringer. It was the person who went out, purchased a product, and didn't know whether or not the actual product was patented, and whether that person was like, oh, I'm going to make that, and not realize that they, in fact, were now creating an infringing product. So it really prevented that innocent infringer from getting hit with an infringement lawsuit. I also think that a subsequent thing that occurred with the marking is that it also allowed the consumer to know the products they were buying, whether or not they were actually patented products or if they were something that, quote unquote, generic products or something that was in the public domain. So I think that, that also gave the patentee you know, a leg up in terms of kind of commercializing their product and selling it to the consumer. But really, that was the main thrust of marking and notice was to put the public on constructive notice, to put your competitors on constructive notice that the products that you were selling are in fact patented. I wouldn't say that the old rules were problematic. Really, the old rules, though, they were much more geared towards the industrial manufacturing sectors. And when I say that, it means something where the patents and the manufacturing of the moldings really were one and the same, that the patents came out, the manufacturing, and they stayed fairly consistent throughout the term of the patent or for long periods of time. They did become problematic or they needed to be updated because now we, in the electronic age, the moving of technology, how products sometimes will incorporate additional patents down the road being driven by consumer markets. It was something that being able to update those moldings and stuff really became a large issue in terms of marking them adequately. And I think that's probably one of the main thrusts behind the virtual marking statute. So when I say that they weren't problematic, they just needed to be updated to be more consistent with the current technologies that are available and the current technologies that are being probably patented the most at the United States Patent Office, you know, in terms of a lot of electrical engineering software type patents. The old rule per se was not really eliminated. Really, it was just an addition. And the addition provided that you could not only mark your actual product or the package that your product was sold on, but now you have the opportunity with the addition to fix the word patent or PAT period together with a web address stating where you can find the list of patents or patent applications on a website, that as long as it's free to access. And that really is the addition. Now, having said it seems like a simple addition, there is nothing really in the legislative history or really any guidance to date on all the details of that issue. I think that's probably one of the things that with that addition, although it seems simple, it's probably created a lot of questions for those who want to utilize the virtual marking. As I just said, I mean, it was really just the addition of the patent or PAT and the website. And I think when I talk about the new things that were added for that, it really isn't much more than that in terms of true statutory language. I think a lot of it will be down the road in terms of how one will implement the virtual marking. And I think those are some of the main issues that are going to possibly come up. I think that they're probably overall good. I think that the positive things about them are they are much more consistent with current technologies, 
I think they will afford a company that wants to be more up-to-date in terms of their patent portfolio. We'll be able to use virtual marking versus the classical marking in a much more efficient and effective and cost-saving manner. So I think that's a positive thing. The bad thing is going to be knowing how the courts or Congress will be modifying or interpreting the virtual marking statute. And so just like anything in the legal world, the unknown is something that people don't like. They like certainty. That's what we all try to drive towards. And I think that's probably the bad thing about it. And it's just a reaction. It's just a consequence of new law. And so I think that's probably one of the things that will probably be most difficult and most problematic early on in terms of why the virtual marking is bad. We don't have any guidance in terms of how one will interpret the virtual marking statute. By way of example, the current Federal Circuit precedent says that you must have consistent and continuous marking. But will that also be interpreted to apply to virtual marking, not just regular marking? And I think those types of questions are going to cause a little bit of caution upon someone who has been classically marking and trying to shift over because they're worried they don't want to be that test case for all future virtual markers. I think the consequences, they're probably far more than I'm discussing, but I think really these are some of the main consequences that I see. One is that there is going to be an initial cost and an initial amount of uncertainty shifting to either hiring an IT company or someone in-house to handle the management of the website, to get it implemented, to provide that constructive notice, I think is going to be a cost. It's also going to take some very careful thought in terms of the way it's structured, if it's going to be structured by products, and are those products going to be clearly identified so that way people know this product goes with these patents and patent applications. Probably the next thing is the statute provides that you're required to provide a free-to-access website. But as both me, but my co-author John Kavingen, and some others have stated that this is becoming an issue because can you provide registration? And so I think that's one of the other things that as a patentee, it could be very advantageous to find out who in fact is accessing your free website. And so that will be interesting to find out if that requirement will be altered either through a change in the statute or through the courts that having someone register is in fact not considered quote-unquote free access because you're requiring an additional step. I guess in my view, I think that as long as it does not cost money, that in fact is free. So having someone register might be an advantageous thing to do to kind of keep track of who is in fact gaining access to your website. And then I guess some other kind of implementation issues are going to be How much information do you give in regards to each patent or patent application? Now, you know, you could certainly write the, with the patent application, it's very straightforward. It's a patent application, it's pending. But as soon as that application goes abandoned, are you going to be able to remove that in a fairly systematic way? You want to be the most forthright you can be. But also when it comes to patents, if a patent also goes abandoned or if it changes in the claim scope, or if the patent is deemed wholly invalid. Those types of things are going to have to be altered. Additionally, are you going to put the expiration date on those patents? If you have the expiration date behind each patent, it provides you with not a whole lot of change unless the aforementioned invalidity or abandonment occur. And so I think some of the initial costs are going to be things that people will be leery of joining the virtual marking era. If you can get over that initial cost, that initial kind of little bit of uncertainty, I think long-term it is highly efficient. 
You can rechange moldings. You can add and delete patents as they issue right to products. And that, of course, gives a much clearer picture of all the technologies that are supported by patents that you are utilizing in a product and in a commercial embodiment. And that in its own right is a very powerful tool to put all of your competitors on constructive notice. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.